individuals respond to suffering in remarkably different ways. There may be rage, depression, anxiety, calm. People respond variously to seeing others suffer too. One person's tolerable is another's unbearable. The range of reactions to pain may have become clearer to your observation in recent weeks. Ukraine, more Covid, renewed poverty. Suffering fills the news and is evident on our streets. Those around you will feel everything from despair and hopelessness to concern and optimism. So what makes the difference? The Eisenheim Altarpiece by Matthias Grünwald is one of the most agonising depictions of the crucifixion of Jesus in all Western art. Death on a cross at the hands of a Roman soldier is surely one of the most unbearable and merciless methods of tortuous killing to have emerged from the human imagination. Grünwald shows the body of Jesus racked in pain. His fingers are splayed, his wounds seep blood, his skin is ripped with thorns from the cruel crown on his head and the whipping he received before the execution. The darkness is hard to look at. Remarkably, the harrowing scene was painted for a hospital. The monastery of St Anthony in Eisenheim tended plague victims and those afflicted with skin diseases. The sores of the patients were mirrored in the wounds of Christ. But why might sufferers want their distress amplified so graphically before them? Wouldn't distraction or soothing scenes have been more appropriate? Perhaps the greens of a calm landscape or blues of a still sea? It is thought that the hospital invalids found comfort in the image of Jesus because his death gave their distress meaning. God understood their misery. They were not alone in it. Modern psychology has confirmed that the insight is right. When wretchedness is held by meaning, when desolation is embraced by understanding, the anguish lessens and an ability to tolerate the pain is born. As the Holocaust survivor Viktor Frankl realised, if you find a why, you can bear any how. One of the most powerful modern stories of tragedy transformed in such a way is described by Marianne Partington in her book, If You Sit Very Still. Her sister, Lucy Partington, suddenly disappeared one evening. For 21 years, no one in her family knew what had happened. The agony was relentless and immense. Then, as suddenly, Lucy's remains were one day identified. She had been abducted and murdered by the serial killers Fred and Rosemary West. In her book, Marion carefully describes the dense experiences of stuckness and change that she underwent during the long years of not knowing about her sister's fate, as well as the second journey after the truth of it emerged. Rage, grief, lethargy, murderousness, numbness, agony, love. What she calls a frozen silence gradually morphed into a shining silence. The disappearance took on a meaning that, in time, a long time, completely transformed Marion. A crucial part of the shift came with facing the suffering, hers and what she imagined Lucy underwent. 
Denial is an important part of survival, she explains, but as a conclusive position, it is an attempt to avoid, trivialise and negate or delay the pain of the healing process. Denial can lead to lethal, oppressive regimes. It carries a perverse power which can haunt, oppress and sometimes destroy vitality, she adds. Keeping faith with this vitality is an arduous task. Learning to lean into suffering so that it can be related to, as opposed to anaesthetised or defended against, may take half a lifetime. But there are practices that can help. Something to avoid is what Marion calls soundbite suffering. This is the consumptive habit of treating news like a snack. Modern media, broadcast and online, is an infinite stream of such tidbits, presenting the latest grim developments, often without wider context or informed analysis. The suffering of others is reported, perhaps with the best of intentions, but the effect is reactivity. A headline is phrased for impact. A tweet is framed to grasp. Too much of this and the psyche splits. If we're not careful, we become like Jekyll and Hyde, trapped in a fight over violent urges within us. The solution would be simple, were such media not so dominant in framing the day. Ration the scrolling, turn off the news. As an alternative, you might try engaging with what's happening in longer formats. Thankfully, such options are increasingly available. I suspect because of the fragmenting impact of flickering news feeds. Another suggestion is to engage your agency. Light a candle, say a prayer, read, discuss, create, cry, volunteer time. Such activities may seem slight, but they make you a player, not someone played upon, not least when they bring you into quality contact with others. A third domain of possibility is to use our now to ask again about the issue of life's significance. What is its meaning? Why are we here? Can we detect more? For millennia, thinkers and meditators have pondered the dual nature of human beings who are capable of the best and the worst. A common conclusion is that the need for meaning lies at the heart of this seeming conundrum. There is a part of us that longs to know we are not needy and instinctual animals, but purposeful, aspirational spirits. Some yearn for what's good. Others, when desperate or perverted, inflict suffering, see conspiracies, perpetrate evil. The logic of the dark side is that any meaning is better than no meaning. The insight suggests a further thought. Withstanding the suffering around us now is not only a personal matter, but a societal one, perhaps even a civilizational issue. A good way to face the pain is to understand what its intensity might be highlighting. Tragedy hurts because there is first love. Sadness and fear are reminders that we are living souls, not calculating machines. The prevalence of darkness highlights sources of light as was said of the figure who hangs broken on the cross. Truth shines in the world, regardless of whether the world understands or even wants it.